Well, if you were Peter, or if you asked Peter those questions, were you there when they crucified my Lord? His answer would be, no, I wasn't there. And it would be an answer filled with regret. I should have been there. Uh, Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? No, I wasn't, but I should have. The 24 hours before the death of Christ was a time filled with regret for the disciples. And, you know, regret is one of the strongest of human emotions. We, we remember things and, and feel that guilt and that shame and that regret for decades even afterward. And there's all sorts of different levels. There's minor regret and, you know, kind of medium strength regret and then, then great regret. As I'm thinking of minor regrets in my own life, it would be something like there was a, a, a couple, I remember, um, we're, we're in the old church building, and I went up to them after the service, and I said to the man and the woman, I said, how long have you and your mom been coming to Bridgewater? And he informed me, that's my wife. And she did look older than him, my defense, but they don't come to our church anymore, so <laughs> I really regret welcoming them that way. Um, and then I was thinking when I was in, I was about 20, 21 years old, I remember I had dated a girl, Gina, in Ohio, and then I had also taken out on a couple dates a girl, Brenda, in Rochester, and so I wrote them both a letter, and then I couldn't, I mailed the letter to Brenda, and I couldn't find Gina's letter, and I thought, where did it go? I must have misplaced it, or maybe it's in a book, or I threw it away. And I found out two weeks later, because Brenda wrote me back a very short note. Thanks for your letter. I don't know who Gina is, but I thought you might want to send this to her. And she included the letter. So I sent it to Gina. <laughs> and uh, so I regretted that at the time. But since then, I met Becky, and so no regrets in that way. Um, But, you know, about 25 years ago this summer, I went to speak at a camp at Slippery Rock, which is out near Pittsburgh, near where my my wife Becky's parents live. And so we we were living in New York at the time. We traveled over 300 miles, got to her parents' house. We're getting ready. I'm going to speak at the camp, so I have a lot to do. And I thought, we should just walk 100 yards across the street to see Becky's grandma. Uh, we're, we're, we've come all this way. I mean, we're just just 100 yards. We'll go see her and her Aunt Leona, and, and, then, and then we'll go to the camp tomorrow morning real early. And, but we didn't. And, and the thought was, like, well, after the camp, we'll go over. We'll be able to spend more time and, and you know, maybe have dinner or whatever. And on Friday at that camp, this is before we had cell phones, so I got a call at the camp office, and... Uh, was told, and then I had to break the news to Becky, there's been an accident, and your grandma was killed less than a mile from her house, rear-ended on a busy street, and we never did get to see her. And almost 25 years later, there's still regret. But the truth is that those regrets are minor compared to some of the other regrets I have and some of the other regrets some of you have walked into this, most of you have walked into this room with. Significant things that you wouldn't want anyone, I I wouldn't want to share with you, you wouldn't want to share with us, you don't even want anyone to know, you're just so ashamed. Why did I do that? What was I thinking? I wish I could 
take that back. I wish I could do it over. And that's exactly where the disciples were. That after Jesus died, filled with regret. And I want to tell you that story, but as I tell you that story, I want you to remember and focus on this one thing, and that is your past is not a death sentence on your future. And that is why Jesus came and died and why he rose again, to show us and to prove to us that our past and our failures are not a death sentence on our future. And so instead of telling you the story uh, in my own words of Jesus' death and resurrection, I want to tell it to you in Matthew's words, who wrote almost 2,000 years ago his firsthand account of what happened. Matthew 26. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he said, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so you won't fall into temptation because the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be capin' away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. And the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. 
Do you think that I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courtyard teaching and you didn't arrest me. This is all taking place that the writings of the prophet would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Those who arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. And the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, they were looking for false evidence against Jesus to put him to death. But they didn't find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One in heaven and coming on the clouds. Then the high priest tore his clothes and he said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they answered. And then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Now Peter, he was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and he said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Matthew then describes how they took Jesus before Pilate. And then Pilate sent him to Herod. And then Herod sent him back to Pilate. And And then Pilate condemned him to death and to be crucified. And that's where Matthew picks up the story in chapter 27, verse 27. Then Pilate released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged. And he handed him over to be crucified. And then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. And they stripped him. And put a scarlet robe on him. 
And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. And they put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. And they spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they'd mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him and then they led him away to crucify him. And as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and forced him to carry the cross. And they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine mixed to drink with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots and kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed this written charge, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from that cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priest mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him because he said, I'm the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out and again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, and they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus with him saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. They exclaimed, surely... He was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They'd followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs, and among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And that's where we're going to stop in Matthew chapter 27. And I want you just to imagine if you're Peter that day. Because Peter didn't just have regret, he he was drowning in depression because he thought, it's my fault, right? If If only I had not run away, if only I had not said those things, if only after I said those things, I didn't go out and cry bitterly, if only I had like come out of my self pity and gone at least to the cross to at least be there to see him die. 
to at least stand with him. I would have rather been arrested. I would have rather been killed with him. Why? Why? It's all my fault. Maybe if I hadn't done that, maybe if I had been different, he wouldn't be dead. It's my fault. Imagine what it's like for Peter and then realize that you don't need to imagine because the truth is, it is your fault. It's your fault Jesus died. It's your sin that he was paying for. And here's the incredible thing. If Jesus didn't die because of you, then he didn't rise from the dead for you. If, if your sin, if, if his death is not your problem, then his resurrection is not your solution. The truth is your failure and, and is the cause of his death. In fact, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we don't need the Bible to tell us that, do we? Because we all walked in here this morning with regret and with guilt and with the knowledge that we have fallen short in our lives. And you need to realize, like Peter, that your failures... Jesus is not so much interested in your failures as he is in your future. And that your past is not a death sentence on your future. He died to take your despair and your regret and turn it into hope. He died to take your sin and replace it with his righteousness. To take, to take your, your problem, your grave... And make it into a garden to exchange the ashes of your life and make something beautiful out of it. And we're going to sing a song. He turns graves into gardens that talks about that. We're going to sing this, the end of the song again. And as they do that, I want you to think not about the story. I want you to think about your story, about what Jesus has forgiven you of. And then after we sing that, I'm going to conclude the story of Jesus' resurrection. And, and when I do, we're going to end with the last statement Jesus makes to Peter. And it's a challenge for all of us today. It's not about what Jesus did. It's about what you're going to do about it today. And so listen as Kaylee uh, does the spoken word helping us remember that this was God's plan from the beginning all along to turn our grave into a garden. From the beginning of time, God has been the giver of life. God framed the beauty of this love in a garden where every good thing was true and every true thing was good. But with one bite, sin entered the world like a virus, it infected everyone. Sin separated us from God and from each other. One bite brought distance, destruction, darkness, and death. The curse of sin consumed us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to reverse the curse by hanging on a cross. A crown of sin and death was placed he died and was buried, and for three days they said that death might have won. 
on the third day, Jesus robbed the grave and rose from the dead. There is no distance that can hold back the power of God. No virus that can threaten the life that he brings. And so we say, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Sin does not have the final word. Jesus is the grave robber, the life giver, the curse reverser. He is risen, and everything sad is coming to end. Would you stand and sing with us? You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the Thank you. You can be seated. Well, as that song indicates, the story doesn't end in Matthew chapters 27. It goes on to Matthew 28 and tells us what happens on Sunday morning. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went to look at the tomb. 
And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who's crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just like he said he would. Come see the place where he lay. And then go quickly. Tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him. Now, I've told you. And so often, that's where we think the story ends, right? Jesus rose, let's party, it's Easter. But there's actually more to the story than that because even though Jesus rose, Peter still thinks he is still trapped by his regret. And what Jesus does, and there's so many times where Jesus, in the Bible, they bookend things. And so there was the fire where, Jesus deni- where Peter denied Jesus. And what we'll see is how Jesus meets Peter on the beach with a different fire to allow him to not deny Jesus, but to affirm his love for him. Because Peter doesn't yet understand that our past is not a death sentence on our future. And so Jesus, in John 21, comes to the disciples again and tries to teach them, and especially Peter, this lesson. John 21. Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter Simon, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he'd taken it off. And he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed him about towing the net full of fish, for they were far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire, burning coals there with fish on them. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 150. But even with so many fish, the net wasn't open. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They, They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, and he gave it to them. And he did the same thing. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, he answered, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. 
Jesus said, Feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes. Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was right. Because Jesus said, The third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself in what you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to negate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, think we all need to deal with this morning. Are you going to follow Jesus? See, it's not enough to know he died and rose from the dead. Peter knew that, and it didn't yet change his life because he didn't yet grasp and accept Jesus' forgiveness. And what Jesus did, it was such a beautiful thing. He took him back to the beginning. When he first met Peter, Peter was out fishing with his buddies. And again, no fish that night. And they had fished all night. And some landlubber on shore says, hey, cast your net on the other side. And they're like, yeah, like you know. And maybe just to humor him, they threw their net on the other side. And it was bursting with fish. And they dragged it ashore. And when, G- when Peter came to shore and saw Jesus, he fell before him. And he said, leave me. Get away from me because I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be in. I don't even know who you are, but I, all I know is I know who I am, and I don't deserve to be in your presence. And then Jesus said to him, Peter, follow me. And now, all these years later, after Peter's biggest failures, Jesus is saying, it's just like in the beginning. It's just like that night never happened. You're forgiven. Follow me. That's what you need to decide today. Are you going to follow Jesus? You know, your past, if you try, if you focus on your past, it will drown you. If you try to fix your past, it will frustrate you. You need to give your past to Jesus. Have him pay your penalty. But then you got to follow him. It's not enough to just believe what happened. Okay, Satan believes that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Satan's not going into heaven because he is not going to follow Jesus. He's not going to obey. He's not going to trust. You need to decide today if you're going to follow. And when Peter said he was going to follow, Jesus said, it's going to cost you, Peter. Are you sure? He wasn't, he wasn't asking Peter, do you love me three times to annoy him or to hurt him? He was doing this to restore him and to help him because Peter three times said, I don't know Jesus. I swear to God I don't know Jesus. I swear on my mother's grave I don't... Three times Peter said that, and now Jesus is saying, three times I want you to remember, 
how you told me you loved me. And for the rest of his life, every morning when the rooster crowed, Peter was probably reminded of his failure. And then every breakfast, he was reminded of Jesus' love and his forgiveness. Will you accept that forgiveness and follow him? I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I just want to challenge all of you to pray with me, but especially if you've never given your life over to Jesus, if you've never said, I'm going to follow you, God, no matter what it costs me. I want to especially invite you to pray with me if that's the case. Everyone bow your head, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I walked into here, so many walked into here with regrets. Things that we wish we could forget ever happened. We wish we could go back and undo, but we can't. And so God, today, I am just so grateful for Jesus dying on the cross, and I just ask that he would take my punishment, that you would put my sins on him so that I don't have to go to hell, so that I don't have to pay for them myself. And God, out of thankfulness for Jesus dying for me, out of thankfulness for for your forgiveness for me, I want to follow you. I want to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. Help me from this day forward to make Jesus not only my Lord, but to make you my Lord and Jesus my Savior. And it's in his name I pray, amen.